to see if that works. Helen Baker, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Enjoying the summer and enjoying the lovely, lovely weather we've been having. It's been beautiful, hasn't it? It's really, really good. And it just feels a bit weird being on this podcast. (laughs) <laughs> I've, had to, I've had to really psych myself up on thinking right we've got this it's all good it's all good so <laughs> let me let me just fill the listeners in because we know each other because you signed up to do my very first women lead well group coaching program didn't you back yeah. what is it is it two years or 18 months ago now it's a, it's a while oh, ago God. isn't it must be 18 months yeah yeah 18 months ago so do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners just tell them a little bit about you about your background in teaching and what you do now um yep so really scary that I've been teaching nearly 18 years (laughs) and I think oh my god how did I get this old someone actually came up to me the other day in McDonald's and there are other fast food available you know other fast food (laughs) outlets are available Uh, but (laughs) Was a treat for my son. This man came up to me and he went, Oh, sorry. Um, do you mind if I sit here? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. He had kids the same age as mine. It's like, oh, okay, fine, carrying on, you know, getting on with it. And he says, uh, sorry, do you do you teach? And I went, mm. you know, that way that you think, oh God, is it a parent? I've had to phone, is it, you know, what situation yeah. is happening here? And he said, Oh no, you used to teach me science. And I was like, Oh, and I thought this is this is a full grown man. Like he had children <laughs> so age as me, full beard, proper adult. And uh, I was like, oh lovely, what do you do now? So I'm so cool. And he said, Oh, you always used to describe me as a lovable rogue. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and he was like, You were right. I was like, okay, that's good. That's fine. That's fine. Um, gone. So yeah, 18 years, 18 years I've been teaching. And I started off as a science teacher and I did my GTP. So back then, the graduate teacher placement. Yeah, so um, that. Yeah, so, but I got that job straight out of, I was a holiday rep, and I was in Mallorca, and I kind of applied sort of online. I think I did a phone call, and then I had to go into a random school and have an interview, and then I went straight in from repping to GTP, here's your class, off we go. Um, and then so I did GTP year, and then I started another school, got head of science because I taught science, I got head of science quite quickly. I got key stage three coordinator in the NQT year. And then maybe 18 months later, got head of science. Did a sideways move, so did head of science at a larger school, taught some A-level, then moved on to senior leadership team just before my 30th birthday. Um, and yes, yeah, so I've been a senior leadership team now for 10 years. So I was an assistant head for about four or five years. And I've been deputy head for about the same kind of time. Brilliant. So what are you responsible for in your role as deputy head? What what do you do currently? So broadly speaking, in charge of the curriculum. So I work with the heads of faculty and the school that I'm at the moment, the heads of faculty are absolutely fantastic. They are all really geared up and focused on developing the curriculum. So it's been a really exciting time this last kind of couple of years when Ofsted changed their guidance and we got the new EIF out. It was just perfect timing for us because we could really get our teeth into how to change the curriculum up and to really look at what it was we're delivering in the classrooms and and if we wanted to make changes and if they're most appropriate um so it's been a really exciting time yes I do 
oversight of the curriculum. So working with heads of faculties, I've mentioned kind of intervention stuff, uh, working with governors, day-to-day running of the school, kind of like the day-to-day bits. I think a lot of the SLT members kind of include that as part of their their job spec now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, So yeah, a bit of everything else really. Excellent. Um, Well, I say excellent. Can you just tell the listeners what it was that made you sign up for the Women Leaders Group coaching programme back when you signed up for it? Um, I think that when you are kind of in that position of leadership, and as I mentioned briefly in my career, I got into leadership role really quite early mm. on. So I remember I was in my early 20s. And when I think about what kind of leader I was at that point, uh, I'm, you know, I think I acted like I felt a leader should act. Yes. And I was really conscious that my whole career I had been in leadership positions and just kind of gone about it and just got on with it. And I wanted to join the coaching course because I think that they came became a point where I think, actually, what kind of leader do I want to be? Mm. What is it that I want to do and, and give here? And I think I was really fortunate to see your ad on Twitter, I think it was, and just go, that's exactly what I need. That's exactly what I need to do to actually just stop and think, what kind of leader am I? Because I think so often in teaching, you're leading your class from the word from the word go, aren't you? You know, mm, when you're in ECT, yeah. you're you're leading that class. And so often you're kind of aping what a teacher should be, or like, you know what that yeah. style should be and absolutely I think like fake it till you make it that's a survival technique that is important for people to go through yeah. but there comes a point where if you're in a position of responsibility you have to really start to think kind of who am I in this and and what attributes can I bring and I think particularly for female leaders that's true and to actually really place value in those attributes and those styles and and to be really start to be honest with yourself as to what power you do bring to the table and and also the cons of that you know (laughs) and and the coaching process really allowed that stop and that reflection and that conversation it's really interesting actually because I can totally identify with what you're saying that I think, yes, when when you're a teacher, you're naturally a leader and Mm. you are leading in your own classroom. And it's potentially a skill that we have that pushes us in that direction. And then when you're good at teaching, you're good at leading in your own classroom, you end up, like you said, you lead a key stage. So you take on key stage three. And then because you're doing that, you think, oh, I could have more impact if I was a head of department. So you become a head of department. And then from that, you think, I could have more whole school impact. So I become assistant head teacher. Then you want a bit more of a challenge. So you become a deputy. You you think you can have a bit more influence as a deputy. But along the way, I, I remember going back to being a head of English and I was a very successful one. But at one point, if someone had said to me, what is it you do that helps you to lead and manage your department so Mm. well? I don't know if I could have pinned it down and said, well, this is what I do. I don't know if I ever spent the time to reflect on how I led. I just did it. I didn't really Mm. think a lot about the process of it. It was something that I think came quite naturally to me. 
and I was quite good at and I was able to do it in a way that was effective and you know we got really good results but I don't think I ever stopped and thought right okay what skills am I using here Mm. what attributes have I got how do I want to lead these people I think as well I never did a lot of work in what are my values what values am I drawing on here how authentic am I being you know how intentional am I being in my leadership or yeah absolutely a, a lot of those elements of leadership that I just never really thought that carefully about and I think Mm. we have a lot of leaders in schools who are just naturally gifted leaders but they don't they're not trained in leadership specifically Mm. they've not had time to evaluate their own leadership and look at where their strengths are but look at where they could be even better for example you know look at the things that are preventing you from being potentially the best leader that you can be and I think you're right I imitated other leaders but in a lot of respects the leaders that I were that I was imitating were men who Mm. led in quite masculine ways yeah absolutely and I think that the older I got and the I suppose the further I got in leadership the more I was able to realize I probably wasn't leading very authentically Mm. I'm a very emotional person you know I'm very caring very compassionate I think you know kindness compassion love come like top of my values Mm. but I don't know whether in my early leadership career I was allowing those values to sort of guide my leadership Mm. don't know what you think of that yeah absolutely I mean in the second school that I was a head of science with they do a, a skit the sixth form used to do like a skit at Christmas time the kind of thing that nowadays would unheard of I would never okay <laughs> that in a million yeah, years no. yeah <laughs> no way absolutely not um but you know times have changed but <laughs> I remember them doing some skit about the science department and someone and they said that um I ruled with an iron fist and I look back and I think gosh I mean I did yeah that I and similarly it was effective <laughs> um, <laughs> but but is that really who I am? And as you say, as you get older, I mean, when I was in my 20s, I thought I had great emotional maturity, you know? Yeah. And then as you kind of start getting a little older and start looking around and think, I don't know that I, I don't know that I have. Actually, you know, who am I? being what is really important and I really loved on your course we did kind of work on Simon Sinek's like the power of why and really drilling down to what are your values I was speaking to a member of staff recently and they said oh what are your values and I could tell them straight away and it because I know because I I know that about myself and I know who I am and I know that sometimes that means I come across as incredibly blunt I know that could come across as uh, as too decisive, but I know that, and you know, it means that then you can better modify how you know if you know that's your default, you can better modify the different situations how you're behaving, or perhaps situations where you're not the best person to go in and deal with that, um, and that that better self awareness. Interestingly, I was listening to a podcast um, 
called How to Fail. I don't know if yes. you've listened to that yes, one. I have, yeah. Um, I was listening to an interview with Russell Kane, and he was speaking about how, as a comedian, for his style of comedy, so much is wrapped up in his personality. You know, he sells, he, he has monetized his personality is what he explained it as. And he said it's very, he felt it was similar in nursing and teaching. And um, he speaks, it's a lovely kind of story anecdote of where he was um, robbing from himself. He wasn't being authentic. So he was robbing from his own self because he was putting on too much of a, a show, too much yes. of a facade. And therefore it was coming across as inauthentic and he wasn't booking a big enough gig. And I think when you apply that to leadership, there's so many similarities. Like how often when we're not acting in an, in an authentic manner, are we kind of robbing that authenticity that when we are trying to be genuine and we are living to ourselves and our own truth, people do you believe it? Like if you rob from your authenticity too often and put on too much of a show too often, then when you are trying to be authentic, is it believed? Is it bought? And I think if you're trying to lead a team and you're not being genuine, it's it's not going to work. People know, don't they? I think they do. And I think it's exhausting as well. Mm. If you're not leading authentically and you're trying to be something that you are not, you're constantly masking or you're constantly mm. putting an act on, I think it can be very draining and exhausting. And I think it can lead to, but probably can lead to sort of mental health issues. It's, it's mm. a very stressful place to be and it's exhausting. And when you're under pressure, it can be very difficult to work in an environment like that. I think that's why when I do coaching with female school leaders, I do so much work on values and mm. knowing what your values are. And I think that potentially I didn't do enough of this work when I was looking for jobs and thinking about schools that I wanted mm. to work in, in terms of working out, first of all, understanding completely what my own values are. And they have been they probably have changed over time but being really clear on that and then finding the right school that shares mm. shares your core values I mean you'll never find a school that shares all of your values or a head to work with mm. who shares all of your values or a governing body whatever but to do that work and understand your values is a key element of being able to lead authentically and that is really important in terms of well-being as a leader mm. and if you if you end up working in a school where your values where you can't lead from your values because they're misaligned with the school the head the governors whatever it might be then it does become it is draining it is exhausting mm. because you're trying to be something that you're not and I think that's why that values work is is so important and the, mm. the awareness of self and who you are and how you want to lead and who you want to be as a leader is really vital. And if you are changing jobs, you've got to really think about that. And you've got to make mm. sure you you choose the right place and the right people to work with. Absolutely. And I think that when you're doing that self-evaluation, that reflection can be hard. Yeah. To really honestly look in the mirror and think, who am I? 
that's a really hard thing to do because you've got to accept that there are elements of you that you don't really like very much yourself yeah, haven't you? yeah. The, the, that's exactly it <laughs> one of that's the, why um, people don't like doing it <laughs> i know one of the one of the um women who did was on a different cohort from you um it was a multi-academy trust that i was um doing the program for and she actually isn't a teacher she's spent 20 years um working in the public sector but most of it was in um, hospitals and she did mm. safeguarding child protection in a and e um, and she'd come into school with that background and she she did safeguarding in schools um, and she she actually said it's the best training that she's done in in all that time that she's worked in the public sector and she identified that as being one of the key things that she found it so challenging and it's quite visceral because you've got to do a lot of it's there's a lot of introspection you know you've got to do a lot of looking inwards at yourself and figuring out who you really are and Mm. she found that really I think she found it quite painful she found it quite hard but she said it it opened things up for her so that she could start to address those things and recognize Mm. what she really needed in order to be able to take better care of herself yeah, because yeah. she spent so long looking after other people you know wh- wh- where she was working doing safeguarding child protection mm. and a family and children um who had their cha- different challenges sort of special educational needs and it was <laughs> she was she it was very emotional for her mm. to do that work of that introspection and actually really hold a mirror up to yourself is not easy is it no because you just get on with it yeah and but and you just do it to do as women isn't it yeah well yeah but I'd also say you get rewarded for doing that yeah. you know you the behavior of getting on as you mentioned earlier people who are naturally able to lead a group you get rewards for that for just getting on but for actually stopping and thinking, oh God, there's, there's some ugly bits of, of me. And actually, are the decisions I'm making really aligned to my values? Or am I making them actually because my ego is more important to me? That's interesting. You know? I think sometimes everyone makes a certain decision and then it's like you have to do it because I've made that decision now and I see it in my own family there'll be times that like my husband or I will make a decision and the kids have to do that decision because we've made it but really thinking oh they could actually probably have an ice cream <laughs> but I've made the decision I did exactly I the can't same face yeah, yeah I, I can't face it's my ego as a parent I cannot face changing my mind on that like because actually in that instance it's that's more important for me (laughs) that my child is not pestering me for that ice cream and I just think that's that's really like it's not an attractive characteristic is it you know that ego side Mm. But how often in all of our lives, you just say you, you made the same one about ice creams. It was a, there was a, we were staying on a campsite and there was a little camp shop. You went in and you took what you wanted and you paid for yeah. it. It was an honest, and we'd been every evening and 
my son was like, can we go to the shop? And I said, no, we're not going to the shop tonight. And then, yeah. oh, but it's my last night on holiday. And then I was like, why did I say that? I should just say, yeah. let's go. <laughs> yeah. It can cost me I'm a couple a... of pounds yeah, or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But like, I made the decision and I was like, well, I've got to stick with it now because I've, I've said it and I've got to be consistent. Yeah. So <laughs> that yeah. was it. Yeah, yeah. And I felt really guilty about it afterwards. I felt yeah. terrible. I just thought, why did I say no in the first place? I could have yeah. I could have done it. It's it's a but when you a, really draw down to that, like why did you really say no? I know. I don't know. I don't know whether it was I don't it is yeah. I have no idea. Probably didn't have a good reason. My instinct just said say no, and then I said yeah. no. Yeah. And that's that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of the time when we're making decisions in our roles as leaders, we want to go. I remember go, going way back to when there was a a thing of you'd put you'd put pupils in for a January entry in. Oh yes, I remember. English. Yeah, yeah. And then like they'd do their literature, English literature yeah. in January and they're yeah. lying in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And when that was first, like initially suggested to me, my instinct was just to go, no, I really don't want to do Mm. that. No, I'm not doing it. And I think that was a big learning curve for me because in the end, I was convinced to do it. And you know what? It worked Mm. for, I think, particularly for like AA star pupils Mm. who could do the exam in January, they'd get an A, they'd know where they went wrong, they'd had a go. And Mm -hmm. generally pretty much on the whole those kids who'd done it in January and got an A got an A star when they resat it in the summer and it was it was like doing a mock but not because it was real Mm. so it made the mock thing a bit more like but what that taught me was like don't initially just have an instinct but don't necessarily straight away just refuse to do something because of your own stubbornness or belligerence yeah like be open to things, be open to doing things differently and to listening to what other people have to say about something mm. and actually trying something out and thinking, oh, maybe this could benefit us because that really worked for us. Mm. I think that really worked for those children in particular and probably those on the CD borderline as well. I think it worked. I think it worked. And when I go back to that, I think my initial instinctive reaction was to say no absolutely not Mm. and actually being willing to change my mind on it and rethink it actually actually worked and I think a lot of the time in leadership we make gut decisions or we make very quick decisions Mm. without actually being robust and thinking a bit more being a bit more creative Mm. with our decisions I do think that schools at the moment the pressure that leaders within schools particularly middle leaders are being put under they have to make those quick gut decisions Mm. because they're being expected to make 100 decisions so you get kind of in that practice of making that gut decision and then following it and I think sometimes there's a vulnerability in really saying, or oh, maybe that was wrong. Maybe I made the wrong decision there. And I think this is where masculine, feminine energies 
and styles come in. And I'm mm. not saying like, when I say masculine and feminine, I'm not saying men and women necessarily, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of men have a lot of feminine qualities. Yeah, a absolutely. A lot of women have a lot of masculine characteristics or qualities. But I think that it's it's more of the feminine to actually take the time and slow down a bit and think about things rather than making those really quick, instinctive decisions Mm. and I think one of the issues in school is that like you're saying there's too much pressure when we're making too many decisions we're asking Mm. leaders to make too many decisions because we're trying to do too many things in schools we're trying to spin too many plates Mm. and that's what makes everything so fast-paced chaotic frenetic oh we've got to do this we've got to really we've got to make sure we and actually We've got to slow things down. We've got Mm. to start being more deliberate in what we're doing. We've got to start actually. (laughs) It's funny. I put something on LinkedIn about um, how good are you at subtraction? Mm. Um, It was just a post really about in leadership, how we're always adding things on. Oh, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's try this. Let's try that. But when we do that, do we actually sit down and go, right, okay, we want to do this but how much is that going to add to the workload of staff? How much impact is it really going to have? What evidence have we got that doing this has worked in other places? And even if it has, how do we know it's going to work here in our unique context? Mm. And then if we do all that groundwork and we ask all those questions and we go, right, okay, we've done all our due diligence with it. We think this is the thing that we're going to do. What do we take away? Mm. Let's go and have a look at all the things that we're doing now and say which ones aren't working which ones can we say look let's bin that let's not bother with that anymore because it's causing you a lot of workload and it's not having any impact and sometimes I think it's hard to really figure out in schools because there's so much going on Mm. what's having the impact I remember one year doing a big spreadsheet with all the names of the year 11s and all of the different things that they've done along the top like all these different interventions having the tick boxes and then trying to look at the kids who'd actually ended up making really good progress and what they yeah done. absolutely you we still do that yeah, yeah you couldn't so I, I just couldn't work out what it was that had had an impact on those children because it was just so much yeah and the reality and it would have been a combination of all those things and the reality is that what works for one child will not work for the other child and that's the that's for me that's the issue with a lot of the research-based or evidence-informed practice that's going on mm. because it might say yeah this worked or it works here but you always have to remember that you're working in a obviously you're working in a school and it's generic and you've got a thousand children you've got 80 teachers and you know Mm. in a lot of respects it looks like something that's similar to the same place to the place down the road yeah but it never is because all of those people and all of those like the environment is so unique to your context because all of those variables come together to create this really unique place and you've got to figure out what works for you and you've got to you've got to put that groundwork in to figure out what is going to work for us what's worked in the past for us what types of things and a lot of that work isn't going on in schools you know mm. we talked about individually like reflecting on who you are and what what you spend yeah. time right like the, I suppose the macrocosm of that in a school is what works for us in this place. And, mm. and that comes down to what do we value? What, you know, if you value kindness and compassion and 
sort of support for your children it's is it the right thing to do to have 15 interventions going on for a Mm. child probably not but we don't like often we don't take away and someone had commented on it it was uh david wall actually who's been on the podcast and doing some work with him in his school um in ashton great academy ashton Mm. he has the tesco approach Uh, i think he that's what he called it so when his when his leadership team wants to introduce something new he says it's like when you go into tesco with a new product now they're not going to take your product and put it on the shelf if it only does what the things they've already got on the shelf already does they want something that they can put on the shelf and they can take this one away and go that one's not doing it but this one really will and that sort of concept of that it it resonated with Mm. me because I think when you think about a Tesco shelf you've got so many choices there haven't you and if you're coming along and saying I've got something better you need to be replacing it with something don't you if you're the leader that's come up with yeah but if you're the leader that's come up with that defunct product how do you feel yes I know but you've got to be that's why as a leader you've got to be you've got to be not I I think I was a bit like that I'd go with an idea when people were like yeah but what if this happens or what I'd be like this is a really good idea and I've spent ages yeah and and it's gonna work and people but you've got to as a leader I think you've got to be you've got to accept that it didn't work yeah like the like the podcast with the you know you fail so you get better so failure doesn't matter you shouldn't be offended by it or you shouldn't be disappointed that something didn't work but you have to think what have I learned from it what have I learned from that because bits of it possibly did work but bits of it didn't and to actually like sit with that feeling in today's society we're so quick to move on oh well never mind something better will come on well actually now I really feel pretty crappy about that and that's okay I'm I'm just gonna like lean into that accept I really balls that up and just go yeah I, I yeah I didn't do that great did I but again that takes I think a lot of honesty and courage and vulnerability yeah that's really tough thing I think particularly if you're new to leadership or you've kind of not had that space to stop and think yeah to really go yeah that product on the shelf yeah I know but it's not working is it you know like selling it's not selling yeah no no one is buying that you know five-year-old tin of beans let's is dead see if there's something else available I think that's a tough gig for people to have to kind of own and to feel when you do the when you do the program it helps you to start thinking about things like that though doesn't it about being vulnerable as a leader and that it is okay I think Brené Brown's one of the um oh gosh great yes yeah yeah is part of the course as well yeah and that ability like you're saying that courage to accept your weaknesses and be able to share them with people and say look I'm not very good at that and I have recently been had a a doctor's appointment because I've watched a lot of things about ADHD and my son's been um there's been a CAMS uh, referral from school for ADHD Mm. so I've done a lot of research (laughs) into it and I ended up going 
Hmm. Lots of these things. <laughs> oh, this is my, this is really My cousin, <laughs> who's um, he's actually a clinical psychiatrist, and he does diagnoses of ADHD. And he said, "You do know that it can be genetic, don't you? Are you like this and like this and like this?" And I was like, "Hmm, okay." <laughs> so, so all of like for most of my leadership career, I've been masking the fact that I am not very good at organizing myself like the executive mm. functioning is really difficult and that I've actually put myself in a position in a role in a job in a school where executive functioning is really really important and you have to be very yeah. organized <laughs> so <I spent> all, <laughs> there's no wonder I was burnt out by the end of the 23 years that I spent what doing I it. Doing? <laughs> but I think when you know things like that about yourself like it would have been so much easier for me to say I'm not very good at this I'm not very yeah. good at organizing myself, but what I can offer you is creativity. I can come up with lots of ideas. I can come up with systems and processes and I can start them off and I can put them in place, but I'm going to need someone else to run with it and take yeah. control of that and do it because I don't have the ability or the skills to be able to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah. I think be, like being able to accept that and say to people, I have lots of skills and abilities. And in terms of leadership, I'm really good with people. I can get people on board and I can sell things to people. But I'm not a completer finisher. Mm. So I need someone on my team who is a completer finisher who can do those things. And I think you can only create an effective leadership team if you're prepared to accept where your weaknesses are. Mm and where the holes can be filled in. And that's, I think as a senior leadership team, that's a really important thing to do. Like I know uh, Julie Reese, who's been on the podcast, she does something called See Me. It's a bit like Myers-Briggs personality test in depth. And it's, there are four colors. She does that with her senior leadership team. Then they can see where people's strengths are. And Mm. then you can decide, okay, well you do those things and I'll do these things. And I know I can do this, but I can't do that. So you have those skills. Can you do that? And and I think that way you get a much more efficient senior leadership team. Yeah. Rather than expecting everybody to have all the skills and be able to do everything and for it to be seen as a failure to admit that you can't do some of that stuff. I also think it facilitates that honesty again though. Because if you know your personality type, but not necessarily about attributing a set characteristic, but if you've done that, kind of gone through that process, and Myers-Briggs ours has been really, really powerful for that, of really knowing who you are, why you're acting like that. It means that you can have that conversation and just be like, you know, we do the uh, the Myers-Briggs and then we give everybody animals. You know, you've seen Star that Wars. Have you seen the Star Wars? Book? Oh, I haven't seen the Star yes. Wars version. Yes. <laughs> I shall have to the, tell my friend all to have of a the different Myers Briggs personality um, <laughs> types. I, yeah. I, I'm, e, I'm ENFP most of the time, sometimes INFP. Yeah. So I'm Luke Skywalker or Qui Gon. Oh, Jin. right. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good one to have. Yeah. I was, I'll have I to was have a look pleased. at what my one but is. But yeah, that's, a, that's great. The people who are the Emperor tend not to like it. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> or Darth Vader? Um, oh, I, what what personality one is that then? <clears throat> what who who I are the emperors? The, Darth, the emperor Darth I think Rider. is the opposite to me. So oh, I'm right. ENFP. So it's like I 
Oh, I can't remember. But have just type in um, Myers Briggs Star Wars. Yeah, you, you get all the you get them all. Um, but it's 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 so powerful to be able to say, you know, I know that I will be too logical in some situations, and sometimes that's really what is needed. Yeah. But actually, in other situations you know you know that there's somebody who is more motivated by that feeling part is going to bring that balance to the conversation yes but so it also has been really powerful oh sorry going back to what you said about honesty yeah that's so important a lot of the conversations that I have in coaching conversations or group coaching conversations when I'm doing MPQSL I think is we've had quite a few conversations about this is if you're not honest about those things with your staff as well they will mm. not be honest about them with you because as a, yeah. as a member of SLT, you are modeling what you expect from your staff. So if mm. you model perfection and model, I don't yeah. make a mistake, I don't get things wrong, I can do everything, then that's what you promote to your staff is what you expect. Mm. That's your expectation that you're all perfect and you don't. So everybody's hiding everything. Everybody's trying yeah. to cover things up and if they do have areas of weakness, they don't want to share it with anyone because it creates a feeling of, of fear. Well, they're perfect to everything. So, and that feeling of, it's quite toxic really, isn't it? Because it creates that feeling of inadequacy in other mm. people if you try to promote yourself as being able to do everything. Whereas mm. if you model vulnerability and you model that honesty of, I don't do that very well. I never told anybody I was absolutely shit at setting homework. I mean, you can imagine yeah. an ADHD person trying yeah. to <laughs> yeah. set homework Manage when, for when a day, in, collect it all in, yeah. keep a track of who's not done it and who owes it, yeah. and then setting detentions and things like that. Like my brain exploded with things like that. I yeah. kept that hidden. I didn't want anybody to know that about me. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that, is I can think like outside the box. My brain works mm. in that much more broader way. But unless you model that to people and you're you're happy to say, look, I got that wrong. I made a mistake. I'm not very good at that. Let me think about what I can do next time. Then people go, oh, I can say that then. I can go to that yeah. person and say, I'm not very good at that. I need this help. Because you're never going to be able to help people to develop personally and professionally if people are too scared to say what they're not good at and they look to yeah. you as a leader don't they for that for that modeling mm. of what it is to be or to exist in this school mm. you have to be willing to actually say sorry I've got that wrong yeah and just as simple as that I'm really sorry I got that wrong what what should we do to move on should we make this decision that decision you know what's your opinion on that I think that's so difficult for so many people to do and it requires an awful lot of confidence Mm. and it's interesting when you're speaking about people masking certain characteristics and how many women leaders particularly just mask all sorts of aspects of their personality all sorts of aspects of their work life and that actually to feel still valued enough to be able to stand up and say, sorry, I got that wrong. Or to be able to come in and say, I'm struggling today. Yeah. I had a really tough morning. 
remember when I was separating, I've mentioned this before, you know, I had to see my children on the bus because if I didn't, I'd be getting phone calls on the way to work or when I'd got there, I don't know where my trousers are, I can't find yeah. them, I've not got that, I've missed the bus. And then that was just, the day was not ruined, but it was not a good start to the day and I'd be in the you know, I'd be in a mindset that wasn't conducive to doing mm. the job that I was doing. But if we don't let people share that, if we're not accepting of people having those struggles, and everybody does, you know, virtually yeah. everybody's got something. Even if you don't have children, you might have parents who are, you know, you're going making their meals for them every night, your 95-year-old mom or whatever. Mm-hmm. If people can't come in and say, oh, God, I've had to shit this morning it's not yeah. a good start today sometimes just even being able for people to be able to say things like that and be honest makes a massive difference mm. i just than... say i'm not in the right frame of mind right now i've yeah. i've had a really crap day i can't think about this right now like yeah. let's let's do this tomorrow yeah how many people do that in schools mm. how many people actually what they do is they make a decision when they're in that mindset mm. And it's the wrong decision. Mm. But then they won't go back on it because they've made it. <laughs> yeah. And then that ego comes into play. Exactly. I've like, well, I've made the decision and I want everyone to follow me. So yeah. we're, we're doing that. Yeah. That's the direction we're going in. It's amazing to think as well on the on the program, like how many people do the program and then go, I'm going to go and do something completely different. Mm. Like I've realized actually when I've worked out what I do value and that I'm not being authentic in this place and that it is having an impact on me and it doesn't suit me, they go and do something entirely different or, or they realise that that school is not for them and they, they move. Mm. Like it can have a, a big impact on your own, well, your whole life, I suppose. It's transformational, isn't it? Mm. It really is. And I think having that pure reflection and um kind of honest feedback that you get during coaching it can lead as we mentioned earlier that uncomfortable conversation and that feeling of challenge and and feeling uncomfortable and forcing you to maybe look at some aspects of your life that you didn't want to really have to look at I do think that coaching is incredibly important for people to get some access to at some point because some of the questions that are asked just ruminate and you know six months later you're still kind of thinking oh they were, they were right on that question or you know and you'll start self-coaching as well yes but by the same token I do think you've got to be in the right frame of mind because if you are so, still in that I'm doing it we go to the next thing the next thing the next thing I'll pick up my child here or I'll go and visit my grandparents there then I'll do this then I'll do that then I'll do a vision class and yeah I'll do the Saturday sessions and yeah that's no problem and, and you're just in that point then it's not going to be accessible and it's not gonna gonna have the impact that it potentially could do but it can give you a space in all that mm. freneticism chaos can't it I think coaching I, can sometimes help you step back from all that and go and and sometimes I think that's what the group coaching program does for women it's that space you step back and you go I can't keep doing this forever I can't keep being that person to all these people and saying yes all the time and doing all these things because it's not sustainable is it Mm. you've got to figure out another 
another way or another approach. But I also think coaching can be scary for people. Oh, absolutely. Because they know that it's going to probably make them go to some dark corners and, Mm. you know, shine a torch in there and really see like all those horrible, scary creatures that are hanging out there that they don't really want to have a look at. I remember someone um, on, I was doing some coach training and one of the, (laughs) interestingly, one of the uh, head teachers who's training to be a coach said, I don't really want coaching because I know there's lots of things about myself that I would have to accept (laughs) and I don't want to do that because it could open up a whole can of worms and it can be quite scary but actually you have to you have to have the courage to do it don't you you've got to just take a deep breath and think right okay I'm going for it because potentially it's going to change my life yeah when I had my coaching when I was setting up my coaching business that changed my life Mm. that transformed everything for me like before I I have life BC and AC like before coaching and after coaching (laughs) Um, but yeah because before coaching I just accepted this is the way it is God is life going to be such a grudge like this I suppose it is I suppose this is what life is like coaching opened up another it opened up a door to me into a world that I'd not really thought about or I had thought about, but I thought there's no way I can do that. Mm. But it made I do me think realize... that, I mean, coaching has really taken off during the pandemic. Mm. And I think that it's allowed people to stop and really kind of walk through that door. And it's worth it's like it's worth it. Like I think back, you know, um, someone once said to me, Well, what if you could have all the money back that you've paid for coaching mm. and go back to that deputy head role and have to, you know, sit I said, I would pay three times as much for it. You know, the mm. value that it's brought me is just amazing. I wouldn't I would never go back and I would mm. like yeah, I would it's an for me it's an investment in yourself because it allows you to get to know yourself better and to allow yourself to be authentic and true to yourself and what mm. it is is important to you and what you want to do are you prepared to share the question that I asked you that you ruminated over when we had our coaching session the very uh, short well, question which, which one <laughs> any of them because I've got loads buzzing in my head thinking, oh god what's she gonna say <laughs> Which one is she going to say? Yeah, go on. Go for it. The one where I talked about the choice. Yeah. Do you remember that question? Yeah, I do remember the question. Go on, you say it. No, you say it. (laughs) (laughs) It was, I mean, it was 18 months ago, but the essence was really about what's the easy path and the hard path. Yeah. And what you think is, you know... I answered at the time, and I think my answer is probably different now. But how many female leaders, particularly on that point, when they're when they're trying to discuss between two different two different options or two different pathways, what's the easy pathway and what's the hard pathway, and why is that? It's a really powerful one because you know where does that lead? 
and what thought process goes into. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I still think about it now. As you can tell, I'm going yeah, quiet. I know. And, I know. And, and I otherwise, for example, I'm very, I'm very typically extrovert. Like <laughs> I can talk and talk and talk, and it still just makes you think. Like, why is it that you say that one is easier? Yeah. Like, what is it about that that is easier? And I think for lots and lots of people, one of the reasons maybe they don't want to hold up that mirror to reflection, that they don't quite want to go through that coaching door, because actually, it's easier to just carry on isn't it to just keep going yep that absolutely but is it is easier that's, that's the question the easy the hard question isn't it but i think that it's that short term versus it long appears, term isn't it yeah and, and it appears easy 100 percent. yeah it appears easier to do x or y but actually in the judge. long term is it because it seems easy because you don't have to challenge yourself. You don't have to mm. be brave. You don't have to be courageous. You don't have to step off the cliff and go, is there going to be a parachute? Is my parachute like, <laughs> step out of the plane and go, is my parachute yeah. going to work? It's, yeah. it's, it's the, often in life, we're making what we think is the easy. We're taking the, we take the easy route sometimes, don't we? And sometimes we need to think about what is it we really, really, really want? And I think that's what the group coaching program does. It helps you to think, what is it, like, who really am I? And what is it I really want? Mm. It gives you that time to, and to, and to have the conversations with other people and listen to what other people are saying as well. I think the power of group coaching also comes from one-to-one coaching is brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but group coaching offers you a different element of, listening to other people's experience and sort of holding that alongside your own experience and going, mm. hmm, well, that's interesting because it can make you think of things that you'd not thought of before. It can make you, because mm. like you're saying, if you've got a specific personality type and you approach things in a particular way, yes, coaching can help you to think about potential other ways of perceiving something or approaching something. But when you hear other people's experiences or perspectives, it can be quite empowering, can't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that in all of those sessions, if people are thinking whether they should go in for coaching or not, and the kind of questions that come up, I think that question of, are you happy right now? Mm -hmm is a real key one because if people don't actually stop and think what does that look like to them what things you do to bring you joy what things you do to bring you challenge do you know that you need challenge in your life or do you not you know which pathway do you want you know if I speak to my husband he absolutely does not want any challenge in his life yeah, and he is very happy like that <laughs> you know it doesn't as I know I need it yeah it's really interesting because someone who was on the group coaching program that you were on, who have subsequently mm. done one-to-one -one coaching with, she messaged me from her holiday this summer and said, thank you so much for the coaching. I'm having the best summer ever mm. because of what coaching had, like the conclusions that she'd come to and the changes that she'd made as a result of spending that time doing the coaching it's been a long process through the group coaching 
into like some changes and then moving into one-to-one coaching but it's been like totally transformational Mm. it has for you as well hasn't it really yeah absolutely absolutely I think it's a real shift in how you think about yourself actually and how you do that and you know why you make the decisions you do why you act the way you do and what's really interesting is observing why other people are are making the decisions they do that becomes really interesting when you start thinking you know one of the coaching techniques of having like the owl in the room you know what would that wise owl say about this situation it becomes very powerful yeah would you like to share with the listeners some of your plans for moving forward um not right now (laughs) (laughs) it's made you think though hasn't it It, it's it's been a process of thinking about what you do and what the future holds for you yeah yeah you went you were you went for a head teacher interview didn't you and yeah and I think uh, you know I try to process the embarrassment of some of my performance <laughs> because uh, you know I, I really yeah bombed I did dreadful um I performed dreadfully but that's okay that's all that, right I, I know you'd make an amazing head teacher as well that's very kind of you to say mm. thank you yeah I mean, I think going through that interview process, going through application processes, it does just make you think, I, you know, if that's the route that I go down, I will act how I authentically am. Yeah. And sometimes I think when you're put in situations and and you do perform really badly, I do think sometimes there's a lot of self-sabotage goes on. And, you know, you pick up vibes, don't you? Sometimes in some place you think this is not, this is not where someone who wants to lead how I want to lead is I think sometimes the the subconscious or the unconscious, I'm not sure what the difference is between the two, but that fits in in that instance. And even though your conscious mind is saying, I really want this job, I need to get this job, because there's a, there's a kudos to it, isn't there? You know, you get the deputy head job or you get the headship. And there's also a, could you say no to it if it was offered? Yeah. Could I say say no? And and you're right. I think sometimes that sort of unconscious, subconscious mind kicks in and and starts, you know, just having a bit more of an influence over your performance. I mean, I went for a deputy head job at a, a school that's, you know, very well thought of. And I didn't get through to the second day and the head phoned me. And I said, oh, thank goodness I didn't get through. Thank goodness, because I am not for you and you are not for me. And he really couldn't, I don't think he could really understand. What, <laughs> what, what do you mean? What do you mean you're not sad? You didn't get, I was like, I, that's brilliant. I mean, also because he took the decision away from me. Yeah. I didn't have to go through and think, is this right for me or is this not? Um, but yeah, it, it's, I think whichever path I will end up taking the easy or the hard or, or how that is interpreted <laughs> at the time 
I think it's just got to be that acceptance that you've just got to be kind of lead how you want to lead. Look at what your skills are. Be honest with yourself of what your skills are and that what you can bring and go for it. And I think that, that there is truth in the, it's a cliche, isn't it, that you're interviewing a school as much as they're interviewing you. Yeah. But it's true. It's really true. You have to go through that interview process in a very analytical and evaluative way Mm -mm. and make sure that this is the place for you because if it's not you shouldn't be very unhappy for potentially the next few years of your life and some are they yeah you know it's not going to be beneficial for either side Um, and that role of ego we mentioned earlier on like that kudos of getting that interview of getting that job how often does that sort of just override you're doing that next thing because you want that prestige yeah. and what I think is also really interesting is how much that links with your identity like if you identify with yourself as being a ruling with the iron fist that, and that's like such a big part of who you identify as if you then go through that process and you do that self-evaluation and you think is that really who I am like how much of how you act and how you interact with everybody is a, is associated with that iron fist and really are you ready to to separate yourself from that and i do think that unfortunately in many schools and many large institutes and many mats you go through the process and you have that natural ability as you mentioned earlier and so many leaders go through the next step, the next step, the next step, the next step. And that feeds their ego, that feeds their pay packet, that feeds their lifestyle. And then you, you yeah. get so far down the route, that goes so far down that road. It's a, a hard decision to say, actually. Yeah. Do you know what, though? Like, I had the Audi, you know, I've got, I wouldn't say I've got a huge mortgage, but, you know, and then I'm on my own. And mm. I, I had to do some evaluation and I, and I knew it wasn't for me. And I thought I'd rather be, you know, not able to go out for a meal, get rid of the Audi, you know, to, yeah. to actually live my authentic life and do what I feel like is my purpose and what, what I really want to do and what I really love doing and feeling like I'm, you know, making a contribution mm. to other people's lives. And a lot of people can't, separate the two they think I've got to keep doing the job because I couldn't afford not to Mm. but actually when you make a list of the things that you actually really need and the things that you don't you do realize you can live on a lot less than you Mm. thought you could like when I worked out how much I needed I was like oh okay that's that's you know and and I still have worries about oh I'm gonna pay the bills but yeah you know I've just change from a sole trader to a limited company Mm. because I am you know I'm doing well and I'm doing what I wanted to do and going back I wish I could say to myself a bit sooner you'd be okay you'll be okay you don't yeah you (laughs) you know you don't need a 67,000 pound pay packet you can survive on a lot less than that yeah I didn't realize I could survive on like half of that (laughs) you know but it's it's you know totally adequate and some yeah um and as i'm building the business you know um it it becomes less 
less of a worry mm. but you can live on a lot less and you know and it's some people just need a break yeah from from the relentless mm. you know from the hamster wheel get off for a while experience yeah. other things see what it's like I mean not that I'm encouraging people to leave teaching because we are in a retention recruitment and retention crisis we um, absolutely but, are but I think sometimes to leave have a break go back to it would be really good for some leaders they probably go mm. back much much more refreshed much better leaders having experienced different things having had time to reflect and and do something different I, I've always said I'm not ruling out being a head teacher at some point maybe in a primary yeah. school I'm sort of thinking yeah that's I'm not I'm not ruling it out but it's not for me at the moment yeah I I'm think that's a really healthy attitude and enjoying it yeah but it is possible to leave you're mm. not you're not you're not a prisoner to education you know <laughs> so many people are terrified that there's nothing else out there that they oh yeah God, I can't you know, I still have the holidays and actually I can go on holiday in term time and the places that I go to are not full of kids. So it's, yeah. all, it's like totally refreshing. Um, so if if you could sort of, if you recommended the group coaching program to someone, what would you say they would gain from it? What would be like the main value of it, would you say? think the value in it is I don't want to say a chance to stop because I think there are other avenues that people can go down for that I think the real benefit is to be challenged on really knowing who you are Mm. and what you stand for and therefore what you want yeah self-awareness is something I talked about on the (laughs) the last podcast that I did with Julia Hancock (laughs) that Mm. I can't convert from an mp4 to mp3 um but we talk a lot about self-awareness on that and Mm. like people people they think self-awareness is how other people see them like be aware of yourself and sort of how you come across to others. Yeah. It, it's about knowing oh. yourself. It's about knowing absolutely who you are, knowing what you value, knowing what your purpose is, knowing your own strengths and characteristics, and knowing knowing. I am going to say weaknesses. Knowing where your your weak points are. Yeah. And accepting those. Be accepting. Be kind to yourself. Like be aware of what they are. And yes, do something about it if you want to, but work on your strength, working on your strengths as well. Knowing, like knowing yourself, knowing what you need as well. Mm -hmm. Like I know I need to be out in nature for an hour and a half a day, walking, running, doing something, biking. Like that's a need that I've got and that's self-awareness. And it's about being able to then use your awareness of yourself to get the best out of yourself, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. We've been talking for ages. <laughs> <laughs> As I say, As very extrovert. I don't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which we but, know is both a strength and a weakness. <laughs> it can be, yes. 
like I say, sometimes I'm ENFP and sometimes I'm INFP. I think it just depends yeah. what time of the month it is, probably. Um, but thanks so much for joining us. Um, you're oh, well, thank in, you for inviting. I'm really, really grateful. Back in school tomorrow for another yes for another year. Back on the back on the hamster wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, tomorrow is our SLT meeting that we have just before the start of term. So we'll be easing ourselves in tomorrow with bacon sandwiches, I think. Oh, nice. uh, and then, yeah, inset Thursday, year seven Friday. So I feel like I've got a little bit yeah, of time. Before you can pace yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Before I have to face get back into yeah. a, a jacket, you know. <laughs> well, enjoy it. You, you are on Twitter, aren't you? So if people want yes. to, to follow you on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what my handle is. Yeah. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> baker hlc i'll put it i'll put it in the yeah. uh, I'll, I'll go on twitter and find it and i'll put it i'll put it in the yeah, show thank notes you. thanks so much for joining us oh thank you Vicky. it's really good to catch up as well take care